Our scripture this morning is taken from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, what we call Ephesians, and we're going to be looking at the first chapter, verses 15 through 23, though we will refer back to the earlier parts of that chapter along the way. So listen to and for the word of God. And this is Paul's prayer. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe, according to the working of his great power. God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. May the Lord bless to us the reading of his word. Amen. I recently returned from some time away from work, what in former times we used to call vacation. And um, I, I have to say, uh, I want to offer up a deep and heartfelt thank you to the LJPC staff and to you, the church, for enabling me to take a couple weeks off. It was very, uh, a wonderful time away. So thank you. Unfortunately, the last five days of my time off was spent driving up to the Bay Area, spending three days clearing out a storage unit from my deceased parents' estate, and then driving back to San Diego. So it wasn't all just uh, relaxation, but up there the air was choked with smoke and, and dust, of course, in the unit itself, and that made for uh, beautiful sunsets, but uh, lousy breathing. The good news is that I've already learned how to use a mask, so that came in very handy while I was up there. One of the things you discover when rummaging through about 80-plus years of stuff owned by two parents who could arguably be called hoarders is that treasures will turn up. An old Polaroid camera in mint condition with a soft leather case around it that I gave to our photography uh, daughter, Kate. Charcoal drawings of my mom's uh, convincing me that she could have made a living um, as an as an artist. Of course, there's old photographs, there's tons of those in there. I haven't even had a chance to sift through all of those yet. But perhaps the most amazing thing was contained in this small box. Upon lifting the lid, I found a medal from the U.S. government to my grandma Peck and to the family. Next to it was an article from the Portland Oregonian saying that her son was missing in action over Europe in World War II. Like so many families during so many conflicts, uh, at the time that they received the medal, my mother's family had no clue whether their son, Uncle Don, my Uncle Don, was still alive. Of course, they feared the worst. 
And for a while, it was an outcome unknown. Well, as it turned out, Uncle Don had indeed been shot down flying over Munich, Germany. Yet he managed to parachute to safety and was able to get his way into Switzerland and eventually back to the U.S. military. He even wrote a book about it, Flight Over Munich. Though Uncle Don had not yet returned from home, his glory had already been declared by the government. And yet I think that my mom's family's anxiety before they had heard from their son, I think about that and I just imagine what they must have been living through. Not until later did Uncle Don's joy and theirs get fully revealed. In Ephesians, the Apostle Paul tells us Uh, tells the church that God's glorious and cosmic plan for the entire world, which thus far has been a mystery unsolved, a plan hidden from view, is about to be uh, revealed. God's glorious and cosmic plan has been in the works since the dawn of creation. Yet, until Jesus Christ showed up, it was still an outcome unknown. So in our passage this morning, Paul explores the hope, the riches, and the power that followers of Jesus Christ receive as partners of God's plan. Yet Paul explains that ultimately we can only learn about God's plan when the eyes of our heart have been enlightened by wisdom and revelation. Let's do a little background work. Among the things that you notice in this first chapter of Ephesians and several times later in the third chapter especially is this reference to the mystery of God's will. Paul wants them to know that God has a very special plan to reveal to the entire world. Before, in in Old Testament times, the Jews alone were God's chosen people, the people that Yahweh would have established an everlasting covenant with. So the big news now is that since the work of Jesus Christ, uh, God is now revealing this mysterious plan to everyone, not just the Jews, but to the Gentiles, the non-Jews as well. Both Jews and Gentiles are now welcomed into God's plan, which was a big deal since Paul was now bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to non-Jews, the Ephesians in this case those who were formerly outside of the covenant. God now has invited Jews and Gentiles uh, to be part of this unity of the kingdom. No exclusivity anymore. No religious elitism. All who follow Christ are included. Everyone. Which means that for you and for me in our greatly divided world, there is still hope for humanity. The church in Christ is to be and is to help create God's united kingdom, as it were. During the pandemic, someone sent me an interview with uh, theologian N.T. Wright. And in that interview, Wright was asked what he thought about all of the, the racial unrest that was going on in America. And at first he deflects the question. He says, you know, who's going to listen to me? I'm an old white guy. But then he, he shares exactly why we should listen to him. He said that when Martin Luther first translated the Bible into the German language, every European nation wanted to get in on the act. Others had already done their translating. A few had done it earlier on. 
But Brother Martin made it popular. What happened then, Wright further says, is, is that every nation started translating the Bible into their own native tongue, which is a great thing. Except that churches had tended, uh, then tended to become homogenized because of it. Everyone began to look and speak like everyone else, which, you know, when you think about it in your, Northern Europe, is probably normal as well. But the Mediterranean world that the Apostle Paul traveled in had Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female, and members of all of those nations that gathered together on Pentecost to witness the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Wright goes on to say that one of the main messages of Ephesians is that the church is supposed to be that one place where all cross-sections of a society can come together, united in Jesus Christ. That's one of the church's shortcomings for a long time, and it has been in many cases. Yet still, it is one of the church's main callings. Laura and I walked into a church in North County one Sunday years ago, and I was struck immediately by the diversity of humanity that filled the place. This, I said to Laura, is what heaven is going to look like. No exclusivity, no spiritual, social, racial, or religious favorites. All who follow Christ are included in God's kingdom. And so, too, our own churches must seek to reflect the variety of humanity that God created. The church, we have so much to offer. Well, earlier I mentioned three words, hope, riches, and power. And you can find those in this first chapter. I want to talk about hope, the hope to which Paul says, God has called us, says that in verse 18. Paul's taking us back, actually, though, to verse 13 in the reference to the gospel of your salvation. Becoming and being a Christian hinges on Christ's work, referred to in, in that third verse of the first chapter, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Friends, that is the hope that you and I and anyone who follows Christ has every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Which leads us then to the riches of his glorious inheritance in verse 18. What are they? This in turn sends us back to Christ's great achievement. And I do want to read this from verse uh, 7 through 12 of this first chapter. In him, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ we have obtained an inheritance having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. Now, this first chapter has a, a lot of stuff going on. But one of the riches that Christ gives us is redemption through the forgiveness of our trespasses. 
I'm not quite sure we realize how crucial to our survival is this redemption through the forgiveness of our trespasses. What if you could never be forgiven? And I know we have people who walk around with that uh, emotion in their heart of never being forgiven. What if you could never lay down your burden? What if your spouse or loved one or a friend continued to harbor that grudge against you for some past offense, even long after you'd done your best to make amends? Who forgives us when those we've offended won't do it? More to the point, how do we find grace and peace in a world where either our sense of guilt is too great or human forgiveness is in short supply? Friends, since there's never been a human guarantee of forgiveness, the truest form of it, the purest extract of forgiveness comes only from Jesus Christ. That is one of Christ's riches for you and for me. Another of the riches of Christ is our inheritance. The fact that we are destined for adoption in Christ. Now, in being in God's family may not seem like a big deal to you or to me because we're so used to thinking of that idea as already happening. But to the Ephesians, it was all new. It was really a surprise to them. Yet think about it. We're to be brothers and sisters in a new family where we share the likeness of the eldest brother, Jesus. As the eldest brother, Christ is known as the beloved, the messianic title for Jesus, the one whom God loves. So here's more riches. You and I are siblings of the Savior, brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. We're not uh, practically family. We are family with Jesus Christ. Amen to that. Okay, but how do we know that? Well, back in verse 13, we were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, it says. The Holy Spirit is God's down payment on the plan of our personal redemption. The Spirit is the deposit, a sort of commercial down payment or first installment on our family inheritance. The, the guarantee that more will come. That is, the Holy Spirit is the first payment until we can receive our full inheritance. You might say that the Holy Spirit is God's early partial distribution of our inheritance. The full and final redemption of our inheritance won't come in until God's ultimate plan is completed. But it will come. And the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of that to us. You know, when I bought my favorite guitar, a Guild F50 jumbo body guitar, at the age of 21, at Randy's Music in the Bay Area, I had to get a loan to pay for it. And it was a, it was a wonderful, beautiful instrument. It still is. It's a, a lot more weathered. But I was looking around for a nice guitar at that time to buy for my 21st birthday, and nothing really grabbed me until I picked up that jumbo body guitar, that guild. It was the same one, that the kind that John Denver used, and I picked it up, and it just 
It made this amazing sound. It also had an amazing price. <laughs> Still, I decided that unless I could own that guitar, I wasn't going to buy one. I wasn't going to waste any money on a, on a lesser guitar. So eventually I got a loan to buy it. And they let me take the guitar home, and I was able to enjoy it right now. That guitar, though, was not yet fully mine. The bank still owned part of it. But once I did pay off that loan, that guild guitar was mine fully and finally mine. I guess it really belongs to the Lord. But that's as close to fully mine as I ever care to be. Receiving the Holy Spirit is, is a bit different than paying off a guitar. I, I realize that. But in Christ, even though we still await the final completion of the plan, God has already begun the redemption of the world. And meantime, the Holy Spirit, God's down payment, will guide us until we come face to face with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit is one of God's greatest riches. We've mentioned hope. We've mentioned riches. Let's talk now about power. Verses 19 and 20 of our passage has about four different words for power. Paul, uh, dunamis is one. We get the word dynamic from that. And energes, we get energy from that. There's a couple of others. And they, they are there to describe how God put his power to work in Christ's amazing resurrection and then placing him in the seat of authority over all things. As it is for Paul, there simply aren't enough words to describe the power of the resurrection and the enthronement of Christ. He's running out of words. So what's up with all of this power? I believe that one purpose of this power surrounding God's plan is to counter nihilism. That is the idea that there's no meaning in this life, that there's no purpose, there's just futility. And lately, we might have been, uh, begun to wonder that very thing. Is everything just futile? God's plan and the power behind it reveals that in Christ, there is a glorious purpose for us in this life and beyond. And that's why we get all this talk about divine election in this first chapter, being chosen, being destined. One of Paul's goals is to recount for us the utter power behind God's plan in Christ that destines us. And by this, he intends to remind us of the hope that exists for our lives in God's sovereign purposes. So then think about what that means. The hope of Christ in this time of covid it might just be one of the few things that does give us hope. But it would certainly be the only thing that we do need. So what I think that this means for us in this time of pandemic, in this time of fires and, and upheaval, is that as Paul prays in verse 17, may God give the Ephesians and us as well a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that with the eyes of our heart enlightened, we may know what it is, what is the hope, the riches, and the power. I love that phrase, and it really stands out. With the eyes of your heart enlightened. You see, 
Only with the eyes of our hearts enlightened will we be able to know what is the hope and the riches and the power of God. Yet how do the eyes of our heart become enlightened? Paul says that it happens by God giving us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Sophia, wisdom, and apocalypsis. We get the word apocalypse from that. That's revelation. Here again, we come back to the Holy Spirit. William Barclay says this, It was God's Holy Spirit in their heart which enabled a person to recognize God's truth when they heard it. The Holy Spirit of God operated from without to bring us the truth and from within to enable us to recognize the truth. Let's say that again. The Holy Spirit of God operated from without to bring us the truth and from within to enable us to recognize the truth. In her book, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, Annie Dillard tells of a a book she once read called Space and Sight by Marius von Senden. And von Senden's book, in turn, tells how blind-from-birth people gaining sight for the first time often cannot understand what they're seeing, since it differs so much from the images that their sightless world has created in their brain. Space that is, uh, form, distance, and size, is meaningless. The colors are baffling to them. These people are overwhelmed when they first receive their sight. Some despair and some actually long to go back to their blindness. Yet for others, the eyes of their heart are enlightened for the first time. I want to read a passage from Dillard's book about this. Some delight in their sight and give themselves over to the visual world. Of a patient just after her bandages were removed, her doctor writes, the first first things to attract her attention were her own hands. She looked at them very closely, moved them repeatedly to and fro, bent and stretched the fingers, and, and seemed greatly astonished at the sight. One girl was eager to tell her blind friend that men do not really look like trees at all and astounded to discover that her every visitor had an utterly different face. Finally, a 22-year-old girl was dazzled by the world's brightness and kept her eyes shut for two weeks. When at the end of that time she opened her eyes again, she did not recognize any objects, but the more she now directed her gaze upon everything about her, the more it could be seen how an expression of gratification and astonishment spread over her features. She repeatedly exclaimed, How beautiful! Having the eyes of our heart enlightened by the Holy Spirit is like gaining true sight for the first time. At first, it can be disoriented. We may want to go back to the way things were. But if we step boldly into God's plan and purpose for our life, the hope, the riches, and the power of God will become amazing and beautiful for us. So I invite you this day 
to step into God's plan. Will you go with me? Let me pray. Lord, guide us as your plan is very mysterious. And yet, as well, you have revealed it to us in Jesus Christ. We see now hope. We see now riches. We see now power. God, may we walk into your plan, especially if we're not in it right now. Lord, be with those this day who do not know you and yet whom you are inviting into your plan. We thank you, God, that many of us have already come into your plan. We have every spiritual blessing now in the heavenly places, and we walk daily with them, God, even amid all of the pandemic and the fires and everything else that's going on, Lord. And when these are over, we will still walk in your plan and receive every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So, God, this day, continue to give us hope, continue to give us riches, continue to give us your power that we might watch as your plan is worked out in our lives, in this life and in the life to come. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.